It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh here with Zerlina Maxwell and joined right now by Dave Jameson, HuffPost's labor reporter, to talk about the amazing, unexpected formation of the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island. Dave, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So my first question, just to set this up, is give us a little bit of background here um, about how we um, got here. Because I, I know that um, there have been, you know, a number of labor stories in the headlines the past couple of months, but particularly during COVID, um, obviously there was Starbucks, um, different Starbucks uh, stores uh, in different parts of the country. I think one was in New York, um, one was in Arizona um, that were organizing and across the country. You had Amazon workers in different parts organizing. What's happening here? How did we get to this point where... Um, we saw uh, the news over the weekend um, of just so much energy around organizing um, in Alabama and New York City with Amazon workers. Yeah, there's there's definitely something in the air right now. Um, and I think the, the pandemic was part of it. You know, people saw that in a lot of cases, their employers literally didn't care if they lived or died. Um, and we have this really tight labor market right now where workers are getting some more leverage after after years of, of kind of being on the ropes. And so when we saw this campaign at Starbucks taken off, that in its own right was historic to see sort of a major um, you know, player in the, the service economy, the fast food world, which is overwhelmingly non-union, almost entirely non-union, to see this kind of wildfire of organizing where now they're at this point where, where over 150 stores have petitioned for union elections. Um, that in its own right was, was really kind of incredible. But what's happened with Amazon is, is like really without parallel in recent years you, to find like good comparisons. You got to go back decades, maybe even to the 1930s to, to kind of like put in context what happened because it, Amazon obviously is one of the most powerful employers in the in the world. They're they're fiercely anti-union, and this is a really large facility. It's eight thousand workers, and and U.S. unions just they don't win elections at facilities like that anymore. It's been a long time since they had, and so what happened here was there was an independent union effort, and that's one of the more remarkable parts of the story is that this was not an established union that, that won this election right. on Staten Island. It's the Amazon Labor Union. Mm -hmm. It was literally formed a few months ago. Its president is a guy, Chris Smalls, who got fired by Amazon early in the pandemic after leading a, a, a protest over, over safety concerns. And these folks were kind of flying without like the traditional resources of, of an established union. Usually a union, they unions have literally, most of them have been around for many decades. They have like established income through worker dues, you know, where they, they're already organized. They've got paid staffs of, of organizers. They've got workers at other facilities who are experienced, who can help you organize. This union really didn't have any of that. They had some outside help, but they were mostly doing it on their own. And 
I'll be honest, I never thought they would do it. Like most people, <laughs> most people who watch this stuff, I'm, I like everything I say about this has to come with the, with the disclosure that like, you know, I was completely wrong about this. Um, and, and most of us, the reality is most of us were, you know, like, right. this kind of like flipped everybody's assumptions about, about what's possible. Well, that's what's so exciting about it is that like what they did could literally be done anywhere. It doesn't require resources and infrastructure and a decade worth of organizing under your belt in order to move the needle. Like they, they did it with, with nothing. And they seem they, and they were up against like the biggest of evil empires. I, I was floored by the union busting consultants that they decided to go after in order to make the the union more popular. Um, I was floored by the salaries that those people make. So can, yeah. can you can you just talk about the consultants, what they do for Amazon, and and how they sort of turned out to be the the linchpin that this whole thing turned on. So Amazon ran out last year. So they had two campaigns they were dealing with. There was one down in Alabama by the RWDSU, an established union, and this one by the Amazon Labor Union in, in New York. And so they, they, they went out and hired just like a ton of anti-union consultants. And they end up just last year, we know they spent over $4 million on it. The reality is it's probably more, more than that. And they spent a lot more you know, this calendar year that we don't even know how much they spent on that. And the truth is, we don't know how, even how many people they got, but it was a lot of people cycling through these warehouses. And I talked with this guy, Connor Spence, who was on the, the organizing committee at, at JFK 8 on Staten Island. And it was really clever what they did. I mean, he started researching these these guys. And when these these union busting consultants, they have to file disclosure forms with the Labor Department. So he he kind of built he and his friends built these dossiers on them and 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 to show people kind of how much people these how much how much money these folks were making, you know, with Amazon to to kind of um you know talk down the union. And so consultant would go around the warehouse and Connor would like follow him around and, and dish out these flyers to anyone who talked to him and be like, Hey, uh, just so you know, that guy, he makes 400 bucks an hour right now to be, to be, to be talking dirt about the union. And that kind of discredited them. And, and they also, they got confrontational. And I think this is where the campaign really got successful was that there was this kind of this fearlessness among the folks who, who were doing it and they wanted to stand up and confront um, the consultants and also the managers who were delivering, you know, anti-union talking points in these group meetings, people like they'd, re they'd get corral 50 workers into a room to watch a PowerPoint where they'd hear, you know, about collective bargaining, all with this really anti-union subtext and the workers would start challenging them. And, and at some points they had to like, they kind of shut the meetings down. Like they would ask so many, so many questions and get so confrontational that the, the speaker would, would throw in the towel. And Amazon got to a point where they were they were having to keep the just no, the known pro union people out of the room, knowing that it would it would just they would just tank the thing. And so, I think like them doing that, the workers doing that, just kind of set an example to other people that like, hey, you don't have to be afraid. Like I'm here getting in my manager's face about this. If I can do this, you can go vote yes when we have this election. It's so interesting to hear people independently doing research and then then going it. I mean, do you feel like, um, you know, part of it is the inspiration of seeing workers? I mean, maybe it's Starbucks workers or workers from McDonald's try to get $15 an hour. Do you think that like they're inspired also by some of these other stories 
and they're learning from those experiences, whether or not, you know, certain Starbucks franchises have been successful or not um, in, in organizing and unionizing. Like, it feels like people are learning a lot from, from others um, who are attempting to do the same thing. And if they're not successful, they're like changing the strategy based on that. Yeah, I do think there's there's definitely a lot of that happening right now. And I've kind of in the past always been a little skeptical of it because sometimes you talk to an Amazon worker in one part of the country and they wouldn't know that there was this election happening like in Alabama, and, which could be like surprising, you know, but now it's like reached this kind of critical mass where I think people in Amazon are aware of not only what's going on in Amazon, but they saw what happened at Starbucks and like Chris Smalls is out there, you know, talking about what happened, what's been going on at Starbucks. And Chris Small said that, you know, they were inspired by what they saw in Alabama when those workers did go for an election there last year in Bessemer at Amazon, even though those workers ultimately lost uh, that election. So there is this kind of spillover that's happening. And I think there's just, there's growing awareness. And as a journalist who covers this stuff, it's, it's kind of cool to just see the public so interested in the ins and outs of, of collective bargaining right now. I think a lot of a lot of um, you know Starbucks organizers have have ended up fired uh, in recent in recent weeks and and I think people are are now seeing that organizers getting fired is actually a, a common thing and people are kind of starting to understand that where I think um, you know they a lot of people didn't know that until these high profile cases came along and so I think I do think something is happening and 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 the, the Amazon organizing really there's a possibility of it really lighting a fuse, not just in Amazon, but at other places. And we've already seen, aside from Starbucks, REI, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the outdoor retailer, they unionized in, in New York City. That was mm -hmm. until then a completely non-union place. And so I, I think workers are absolutely kind of recognizing what's going on in other workplaces and trying to grab a piece of it right now. So, I mean, you've been a labor reporter for 11 years now. Um, I, I have been working on the democratic side of, of the political sphere for uh, for that long. It has, the, the conversation around labor rights and unions specifically has been one of the most frustrating pieces of, of being in the progressive movement. Like it is so obvious that what we need to do is form collectives so that we can subvert these systems that are stacked to make sure that workers, that there's no social mobility, that workers are stuck where they are, that they get the, the bare minimum at, you know, it's, it's at the expense of American families. Like, it's so hard not to see this as one of the most important solutions to the whole damn thing. <laughs> and it must be frustrating from your side covering this and, and watching, watching people ignore it. Like unions have not been as, as large a part of the conversation in recent memory as they clearly should be at all times. Like, how does it feel, how does your beat feel now compared to say, I don't know, four or six years ago? So there's been a lot of frustration for decades now within the labor movement of just feeling that that Democrats take it for granted, right? Yeah. That, that uh, unions and and that they're going to be there, uh, you know, in November, no matter what. And, and there's a sense that like Democrats have just not not delivered over the years. And you, I mean, the reality is, is like, look around the country, like a majority of states are now right to work. Um, you know, federal labor law is, is, a, is a total mess. It makes it like really hard to, to organize. And um, 
you know, people are really frustrated with that. There has been a shift in recent years, I think, you know, as, as the, the, the party has moved in a more progressive direction, there is certainly a recognition um, that, that um, you know, a lot of this really needs to be addressed. And there are, I think, many more, more outspoken members in the democratic establishment who will, you know, frankly, call out a, a powerful company now when they're in, in a battle with workers in a way that they wouldn't have a few years ago. And we've seen that, you know, especially with some of the high profile strikes recently, you know, even Biden, you know, Biden sent you know, cabinet members out onto out onto strike lines, which, you know, is very notable. And he even mm-hmm. delivered a speech, you know, chiding Amazon, you know, in, during the initial uh, warehouse election last year in Alabama. And that was, you know, frankly, a really r- remarkable speech. So I think there is definitely movement, certainly rhetorically, but, you also look at, at, at what the reality of what's going on in Washington right now. The, the big hope was the PRO Act would, would, would get passed and make it easier to, to organize workplaces all over the place. And right now, you know, that's, that's, it's looking for the most part dead in the water. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you got to reconcile those two pieces of, of the Democrats who are more willing to speak out, but the political reality of, of, of the system not changing. I feel like the propaganda won when it came to unions for a while there. Mm-hmm. Like for a while, like the, the branding on unions got really bad. It was it was all about the dues paying. It was it was about corruption at the top of the, the union bosses. It was, you know, like it, it actually it worked. Like we we didn't say enough about the good things that unions do. And we hung on to this outdated idea of who union workers were. And, and we let the other side sort of set this narrative that the unions were just sort of a more corrupt version of management, which is, of course, not at all the case. And now we're in this place where the pandemic has exposed the realities of working conditions in industries across this country. And there might be, there might be, people might be more open to the idea that, like, the reason why they felt a certain type of way about unions was because people wanted them to feel a certain type of way about unions because unions are going to be how they make more money and break the system. Like, do you feel like their propaganda is running up against reality a little bit? I do. And, and it's, it's changed in just a few years. And, and, you know, you look at, at the Obama administration, I mean, Obama, you know, frankly, he didn't really talk much about collective bargaining unless he was talking to a union crowd. Um, right. You know, he was he was not the kind of person who was going to throw much about unions in, into the State of the Union address. Um, I, I do think things are, are changing now. And, and, and as we said, the pandemic has has a, a lot to do with that. I mean, it kind of like stripped everything down to the to the bare bones where, where people could could really see what was going on. Um, you know, you have workers all over the country who were like, you know, risking their lives and, and the companies didn't even want to throw them like two dollar hazard pay you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and people were just like, this, this is crazy, you know? And so I, I think we're in a, in a moment now where, where people are, are like recognizing the value of, of like joining together with their co-workers or coworkers to do something. And, and that, that we, we see that even in the polling, you know, Gallup does, has done this poll every, every year. Um, you know, I think since the, the forties or fifties on, on uh, the approval of, of labor unions. And it's like, it's, it's, extremely high right now it's been climbing for years um you know the high it's right now i think the highest in, in a couple of decades and so it's really comes down to frankly like our our, our unions and the, the political establishment that can help unions are they going to like make the most of this right now 
because you look at what happened in New York City where, you know, Chris Smalls yesterday, he was just like, look, I'm just, I was just like some unemployed dude, you know? Right. Um, and we, we like unionized an 8,000 worker Amazon warehouse. Um, so our like, it, uh, our union's gonna take what they, everything they can out of that, recognize what just happened and just, and just totally run with it. Maybe rework the, the, the playbook a bit, um, you know, reconsider what needs to be done, uh, you know, to make things happen and just like make everything you can of, of like what's in the air right now. I mean, do, do you feel like that momentum is possible? I mean, I mentioned sort of the workers themselves learning from the success and failures of others and sort of implementing those strategies and being more strategic. I mean, I think sort of the strategies are so cool to read about um, in the way that they sort of outsmarted um, some of these union busting efforts. But from from the perspective of these companies, what what have they learned from from the successes <laughs> and failures um, that now, you know, may make it harder for organizers in other places to, to duplicate success, the success of these Amazon workers? Yeah, sort of in, in the way that 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 the workers on, on Staten Island kind of uh, threw the through the labor playbook out, in, you know, in some ways, I think I think we're going to see companies rework theirs a bit because what Amazon did it clearly did not work. And I was talking with a lawyer who advised the, the union campaign. And just to give you an idea of like kind of how, um, you know, bare bones this thing was this guy, he works at a different union, but he helped them out pro bono. Like his boss let them, you know, mm -hmm. let him go like help, help them file charges at the national labor relations board. He said, all he got for this was, was a t-shirt from the, from the Amazon <laughs> labor union. Um, so, you know, uh, basically, I think, you know, a lot of companies like Amazon are going to realize that it's certainly what went down on Staten Island, the traditional kind of approach to throttling a union campaign did not work there. Um, companies have gotten more and more aggressive on this stuff over re recent decades. We've seen that. We know from research that um, you know, companies in a typical union campaign, they're going to they're going to break labor law. Uh, supporters are going to get fired. All that stuff is going to happen. Um, I, we might see them get even more aggressive. But who knows? You know, yeah. I, I think the consultant thing, you know, didn't work out this kind of like cheesy group meeting where you kind of watch a PowerPoint and they beat into your head that union unions suck like that didn't work. Uh, I, I think Shocking. they're also they're they're going to be reevaluating things, and I just I think like this is going to go in some really interesting directions. I mean, yes, like reevaluating things is probably not. Maybe we should have fairer business practices so that the workers don't feel the need to collectively rise up against us. But I, I somehow don't think that that's what you mean by reevaluating things. Um, I wanted to ask about other like so so the the unionization drive in newsrooms has been particularly fascinating to me. Uh, your your paper HuffPost has a, a union. We just saw a strike with Geo Media. Is there something happening in the media space in terms of of unionization? Like, do you feel like that is a, a major part of this domino, or other reporters starting to learn how important the people who aren't on your beat are they starting to learn personally how important this is? Is that is that driving some of this coverage? Yeah, there's been a huge wave of, of organizing in, in newsrooms over the past five years. I mean, it used to be that it was like places like 
HuffPost or, you know, Gawker was the first to do it. Like the digital native places were all essentially non-union. And now they're like, by and large, all union. And even like, you know, old, old, uh, you know, established places like the LA Times that were non-union for, for forever have gone union. And it's like, it's like got to a point where it's weird, almost weird to not be a unionized newsroom. Uh, and I think, I've always been like a little, I always thought this was like kind of its own little world um, and maybe didn't say too much about, you know, the, what's going on more broadly. But I do think it's been important in, in, in the respect that I think it's like raised journalists awareness of just like of, of workplace battles, you know, of, of what, what people are trying to do to change their workplace. And then I can just say at HuffPost, like, you know, when we unionized, like, I kind of like had to guide people through it because I had covered this stuff and I was like one of the only people who kind of knew the, the like what the National Labor Relations Board was and kind of how the whole thing works. Right. But now we have a union and we have like this union committee and like, like oh, there's all these people who know how this stuff works, right? Um, and that's the same in like newsrooms all over the place. People are, have just like kind of, um, you know, increased their knowledge about this stuff and just kind of grown more aware about what what workers are dealing with. And I think that does, I think that improves the coverage of the working class. Nice. I was sort of hoping that that was, that that was the case. The, the other unionization drive that I'm obsessed with right now is on the Hill. The, um, we've talked about the, the account, the Dear White Staffers account that's sort of documenting um, the crazy hours, the terrible pay, the conditions that Hill staffers are expected to just work under. Um, and, and it feels like there might be momentum there. Do you think there's any chance that we see unions on Capitol Hill, like in Congress at some point in the, I don't know, not so distant future? Yeah, it's possible. It's, it's a lot more, more complicated there. I mean, each, each, you know, office kind of acts as its own fiefdom, as you, as you know. Yes. So it, it's like sort of, it's a very weird system. It's kind of its own system. I would like normally, uh, you know, that like trying to organize under the normal, like private sector, national labor relations act in this country is not a great thing, but it's probably better than what they're dealing with over there. Um, so I think, I think it's really tricky. Uh, I do think it's whatever happens, uh, you know, they're already kind of like, acting like a like a little bit of a union in the way that they're speaking out mm. it's so interesting to see this um all this energy change throughout the pandemic and um i mean i think there's been so much talk about the great resignation but not enough um talk about why <laughs> people are like, right <laughs> because people are people tired zerlina they're burned That's out it. That's yeah all. like they're just they tired were- no, we're not. But why are we tired? Why doesn't anybody ever ask that? I right? Know. I mean, it's just, oh, yeah, people are tired, which like then they want you to think that that means that we're lazy, not that we're burnt out. Right. That we just want, you know, to sit around all day as opposed to like, you know, we've been hustling and, you know, running ourselves ragged. Not to mention the fact that, you know, COVID is 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 a real thing. And there's a lot of people, I think, that also just realized it's not worth your life that that little bit of money that you were getting that you probably should be getting way more per hour um speaking of the minimum wage for the thing that you're doing and you're risking your life to do it and then the and you're not being treated you know humanely uh, in the process um 
what what's sort of the future outlook in terms of um, if this is going to spread beyond some of these bigger companies? Like, I think we we we've talked a lot about Starbucks. We talked a lot about Amazon. Just mentioned Capitol Hill. Is this something that um, goes beyond sort of these sort of top tier brand name companies? Is this energy like on like is it trickling down for lack of a better way to describe <laughs> it? <laughs> I I think that's really like I think the fact that this just happened at Amazon shows that it can happen literally anywhere. Um, I think when we were watching these big strikes happen and it looked like, you know, we saw these like pockets of militancy and at grocery stores, you know, the big John Deere strike and everything. A lot of us are one, we're, we're, we're thinking, well, you know, this might not mean much unless it spills over like into the, into the broader economy. And I think, I think now we are seeing that just the fact that, that a massive Amazon, you know, warehouse has been unionized shows that, that, you know, this really, this really could go anywhere. The, the caveat to all of this is that, you know, union member as far as talking about unions, union membership is down to like 6% in the private sector. Right. Mm. And so to rebuild that to like meaningful density, like after World War II, the years after World War II was like a, you know, your density was like in the thirties, you know? So like everybody, you know, had family members in unions and new people in unions. It's just, it's not like that right now. And it is a really long road to, to, to rebuilding that, uh, you know, this is just one out of hundreds of Amazon facilities, just, just, you know, for instance. And so, you know, the Starbucks thing, people are very excited about it, but it is each store that unionizes adds, you know, 20 some union members that's like not going to show up in the right. in the labor <laughs> labor department statistics you know every year so it, it's a really long way to go to kind of rebuild things but i think what we're seeing right now is like like the first signs that that it that it's that it's truly possible amazing dave jameson thank you so much for your reporting over all of these years and also for joining us this morning this has been a really fun conversation hey this was a lot of fun thanks for having me guys <laughs> thank Anytime. you anytime so We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.